Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. You've made the best decision you could possibly make by tuning your ear to the Word of God. I would love to invite you to stay updated with us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us at Revival House Church. Father, bless this person and let the seed of the Word multiply 30, 60, and 100 times over in Jesus' name. Pillars of Pentecost, part one. And so, just to begin with this, um, kind of a question, I want to help form the identity. What do we believe and why? The Lord spurred it in my heart, and, and, and literally, it was just out of nowhere. I had this thought, and I said, you know, I would like to research the, the pillars, the theological pillars of Pentecost. You may say, what is Pentecost? What is Pentecostalism? What is, what is any of that? You may be thinking jean skirt and beehive, you know, uh, and plaid jacket, and, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the jean skirt, the beehive. I'm going to give you some history, and I'm going to give you some theological pillars because I want you to know what do we believe, why do we believe it, and also I want to make it very clear of what our identity is here at this church according to the word of God. You know, and again, the Lord's just put it in me. Like, we're not going to waver. We're not going to dip over here and dip over there. No, you know, we're going to, I want you to understand what we are, what our identity is, what the things we stand on, what are these pillars in the word of God, of who we are as believers. Amen. Where do you come from? You need to know where, you're, where you come from, truly to know where you're going. Be honest with you. I'll explain this to you, but you can see how God's moved throughout history, and you can actually follow the line of anointing to this very day. And if you do that, not only will you know where you come from, you'll know where you're going because you'll know what the Lord's doing today and who he's doing it through. All right, praise God. Well, in the 19th century, that's the 1800s, you have to think, we had different revivals. I've, I taught recently on the Protestant Reformation. I was so sad because that was the day that we had tons of people sick, tons of people gone, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the one time a year I preach on the Protestant Reformation. I was so excited for some New Year's to hear it, but we had some people gone. So you missed it. Hopefully you watched it online. But we've had different moves of God's spirit that have kind of helped. You know, we had the book of Acts. The church was birthed. And then the church went through different things in history, and I'm not going to get into all of that, but the devil did everything that he could to keep the believers away from the truth, to keep the Bible out of the hands of people. The church went through the dark ages where no, the common man didn't have the word. I mean, it was just a corrupt system. Uh, but over time, God began to raise up individuals that brought back that kind of made the rough edges smooth and the crooked path straight and brought the church back to the word of God. And so in the 19th century, that's the 1800s, you begin to have some of these people rising up. And it goes back further than that, but I really want to start here. 1800s, you had different moves of God's spirit that took place. You had people like Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? A healing evangelist that, you know, that was revolutionary. Uh, 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 he was revolutionary for his time. There wasn't a bunch of healing ministers. They weren't doing tent meetings. This was in the 1800s in England. And this man, the word of faith comes to this man before there was a word of faith movement. Before there was Kenneth E. Hagin or Kenneth Copeland. In fact, he really pioneered a lot of what is faith and how to receive miracles by faith. He's known as the apostle of faith. He wrote books called Ever Increasing Faith. I mean, he was a faith man. He saw 15 different people, I believe, raised from the dead in his ministry. Type of man this was, he walked into a funeral. He cleared everyone out. He took the dead body off the, out of the casket. And he slammed it up against the wall and said, live in Jesus' name. The body fell down in the floor. He picked it up. Live in Jesus' name. It fell down to the floor. One more time, he picked it up. Live in Jesus' name. And the third time, the body, the man came back from the dead, resurrected the man from the dead. He did crazy stuff like that all the time. He was radical. There would be people that would come up to Smith Wigglesworth with stomach cancer. And, and he would rear back, and it's like he could see in the spirit. He'd rear back and boom, punch somebody right in the stomach. And, and they would sit there, and I'm not kidding you. 
They would sit there and vomit up like black sludge and, and then get up and be completely healed of their stomach cancer. And they asked him one time, Brother Smith, why do you punch people? He says, I don't punch people. I punch the devil and people just get in the way. I've been praying, y'all, Lord, give me the faith of Smith Wigglesworth. I'm just kidding. You're like, I'm never coming up to the front again. Just, wow. <laughs> Hallelujah. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You had people like Smith Wigglesworth. You had people like John Alexander Dowie, Maria Woodworth Edders, all these people that came up in the 1800s and began to pioneer this bringing us back to these treasures that were in the word that the church was no longer practicing. Okay, and it all boiled to a head in about the year 1900 with a man named Charles Parham. Charles Parham was a man that began to preach on this, this idea of what was known the baptism of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. That was revolutionary, never been heard. I mean, it had been seen biblically, and it was known at one time, but the church had completely lost this. So he went around showing from the word that the Acts chapter 2 experience was still available today. It was still available to believers today. And so he went around preaching that you can be baptized in the Holy Ghost just like they were in Acts chapter 2, just like they were in the birth of, of the early church. And so... He moves to Houston. He starts a Bible school. There was an old black man that came to his Bible school named William Seymour. He was, a, he was blind in one eye. In a time where the nation was completely segregated, God used a, a black man in a segregated time to literally birth the greatest move of God that's still happening today. Did you know that, that underneath this umbrella of Pentecostalism, what's what it's called, there's over 700 million people that fall underneath this umbrella. It's actually the fastest growing movement still to this day on planet Earth. And it was birthed from a man named William Seymour. He got this message, baptism of the Holy Ghost, evidence of speaking in tongues. He took it to Los Angeles, and what happened? The Azusa Street Revival was birthed. And it birthed what was known as Pentecostalism. And again, I, I think I've even used that term. Like, but I really didn't understand that term, Pentecostalism. I thought it was kind of a, a joking term. But it's actually the term for a, set, a, a certain set of theological pillars. Okay, so Pentecostalism is birthed. And I'll talk about those pillars in just a moment. And out of Pentecostalism, that was in 1906, the great Azusa Street Revival took off. At the same time, there was a revival called the Welsh Revival happening on the other side of the world. Same exact thing. Baptism of the Holy Ghost was speaking in tongues. God birthed it all over the world. People begin to come to this revival from all over the world and get healed and get this teaching and get this revelation and begin to go back to their countries, to their nations, to their cities and plant churches. And, I mean, it just, it just started a fire over the entire earth. You keep following it. Now, 1906, 1908, it keeps going. And now you get into uh, the... 20s, 30s, the 40s, and it gave birth to what's known as the charismatic movement. The charismatic movement, there was different things that happened in that time, like the voice of healing. You had different ministers come out of that same lineage, like Oil Roberts, T.L. Osborne, Kenneth E. Hagan began. Anybody ever heard of Brother Hagan before? If you haven't, that's okay. Just stick with me here. So you, you, you had this mighty revival that came from that same line under Pentecostalism. And then after the charismatic movement, you get it now into the, about the 80s and it birthed the 70s and 80s and it birthed what's known as evangelicalism. Where do you have, what ministries do you see coming out of evangelicalism? You have ministries like Kenneth Copeland. And then that's in the 80s, Word of Faith, Kenneth E. Hagan really took off during that time. Dr. Rodney Howard Brown came out under the evangelicalism from the same lineage. So, again, I told you, you need to know where you come from in order to know where you're going. Follow the line of impartation. Say, follow the line. You need to understand this, the impartation is passed down. 2 Timothy 1, 5 through 6 says, Paul said, I remember your genuine faith. 
For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother, Lewis, and, the mo- and your mother, Eunice. And now that same faith continues strong in you. What was Paul saying? There was something that your grandma had that was passed down to your mother that now I see and recognize has been passed down into you. And he says, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. You know, it's, it, I'm going to tell you this as well. This is just extra, but you need to, it's important who you're connected to. You know, everything in my flesh, the flesh is stupid sometimes. Sometimes it's like, oh, I would be more comfortable, Lord, going over here. I'd be more comfortable going over there. I'd be more comfortable flowing in this vein. But for me and my wife in, in this church, as of May, me and my wife, we will be credentialed under Dr. Rodney Howard Brown. Why we'll actually have our license with, with the River Church under Dr. Rodney Howard Brown? Why would the Lord have us do that? Because impartation is passed down. You know, everybody's trying to just spring up and be their own little root and be their own little vein. You can trace it all the way back to the Azuzu Street Revival. God poured out gifts. He raised up people. Those people passed down mantles and laid hands on other people like Elijah did to Elisha. And they laid hands on other people. And they laid hands on other people. And those people are still alive today. And you can recognize the flow of what God is doing in the earth. It's important who you're connected to. So I'm going to give you a couple definitions of Pentecostalism. Again, you know, you say, and you need to get to this point where you say, I'm a bold, proud, Pentecostal believer, okay? If you don't want to say it, you don't have to, because I'm not going to force anybody anything. But I want you to say that if you're, if you're willing. Say, I'm a bold, I'm a proud, I'm a Pentecostal believer. And say, I'm not ashamed of it. Again, we think Pentecostal, beehive, jean skirt, nothing wrong with it. Praise God. Not for me. But what really is it? Pentecostalism, I'll give you a couple definitions. Pentecostalism or classical Pentecostalism. Do you guys have this on the notes to put? Is it on, is it on the, yep, thank you. It is a Protestant charismatic Christian movement that emphasizes direct personal experience of God. Through baptism with the Holy Spirit. The term Pentecostal is derived from Pentecost. Say Pentecost. An event that commemorates the descent of the Holy Spirit upon the apostles and other followers of Jesus Christ. While they were in Jerusalem celebrating the Feast of Weeks. As described in the Acts of the Apostles as described in the book of Acts. Very simply, Pentecostalism is if you believe what happened in Acts chapter 2 is still for us today, you are a Pentecostal believer. All right, here's another definition of Pentecostalism. Pentecostalism is a spirit-emphasizing movement that is characterized by several unique doctrines and practices. What are these doctrines and practices? We'll go over some, including baptism in the spirit for Christians after conversion, Speaking in tongues as evidence of spirit baptism and the exercise of all spiritual gifts. These charismata include the sign or miraculous gifts. So this includes the sign or miraculous gifts of the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, prophecy, miracle, miracles, healing, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Basically, if that was super confusing, it just means this. If you believe you are to be baptized in the Holy Ghost, you believe speaking in tongues comes when you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, and then you believe that all the gifts, all nine gifts of the Spirit are still active in the church today, you fall underneath the doctrine of Pentecostalism. All right. Praise God. So let's go tonight. I'm going to give you the pillars of Pentecost. Or the fundamental doctrines of Pentecost. Put that on the board, please. The pillars of Pentecost. Or the fundamental doctrines of Pentecost. What are these doctrines that we hold true to? I believe there's, well, I didn't write them down. I think I have about six, but I'm only going to give you two tonight. Is that okay? Here's these doctrines. Let's start with number one. Exuberant worship. 
Exuberant worship. Exuberant means it's alive. It means that it's, it's active. It means it, it's lively. Say exuberant. A pillar of Pentecost is, number one, exuberant worship. We believe in exuberant worship. What is exuberant worship? Well, give you some scripture. John 4, 23 through 24. Jesus said, the time is coming and indeed is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. If you have your Bible open, highlight that. They'll worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So you might be asking, what does it mean to worship God in spirit and in truth? I'll read you a note from a man named Finnis Dake, a Pentecostal theologian. What it means to worship God in spirit and truth is this. It means to worship God with the whole soul. What's your soul? It's your mind, will, and your emotions. Right? And I'm even at the same. Well, let's just take emotions out of it. But really, to worship God in spirit and truth, he said it's to worship God with the whole soul. Your mind, your feelings, your emotions, your desire, to, to love the Lord with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Right? I'm not just going to worship God and... Well, I'll worship him with my head. No, I'm going to worship him with my mind, with my soul, with my emotions. Let all that I am praise the Lord. Praise God. Say all that I am. Is a human being an emotional being? Does a human being have emotions? Then use your emotions to praise God. Total submission. I know, Pop, you've been studying worship. Yeah. So I'll give you some expressions of this. Let's just make it even simpler. It's exuberant worship. It's worshiping God with your soul, your mind, your feelings, your emotions, your desires. Uh, and to make sense of this, Jesus told this to the woman that he met at the well. He met this woman at this well, and they begin to have this theological debate. Well, we say we're supposed to worship God on the mountain, and the Jews say you're supposed to worship God over there in that city. Who's right? What he was actually saying is a time is coming where it won't matter if you're worshiping at that mountain or in that city because you'll worship me in spirit and in truth. Okay, so basically, the woman thought, this is how the people thought, they had to take this long, treacherous journey up this mountain, and that was like their worship to God. Man, I'm starving, and as I'm starving, and I'm sweating, and I'm tired, the Lord just receives it as worship, and he's, he's saying, no, there'll come a day, there will come a day where you're not, Worshipping me with physical fatigue and journeying to some temple, but you'll worship me with your whole soul, mind, feelings, emotions, and desires. Praise God. Okay, expressions, expressions of exuberant worship. How do we worship God exuberantly? Number one, clapping and shouting. Right? That's where it comes from. Clapping and shouting. Say clapping and shouting. Psalms 47.1. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout to God with a voice of triumph. So you guys think that it's just some little gig, like some little thing we're trying to do to build momentum. Everybody clap your hands. Come on, give the Lord a shout. That's biblical form of worship. Clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Come on, somebody give the Lord a shout of praise. Come on, clap your hands to the Lord. That's worship. So we clap and shout. We lift our hands. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, oh, I'm sorry, the Bible says in Psalms 134.2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Very simple. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. What are you in right now? You're in a sanctuary. I understand. You're old David. He, you know, they didn't have to. Stop being stupid. All right, you're in a sanctuary. Lift up your hands. And praise the Lord. And in fact, Paul said the same thing to Timothy. He said, I desire, 1 Timothy 2.8, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath or doubting. So how can I worship God? Clapping, shouting, lifting my hands. Something that you'll notice is not a way to worship God is standing there like this. Come on, everybody, let's worship the Lord. 
Come on, has God been good to you? That's what people do. Clapping, shouting, lifting your hands. What's another way of exorbit, uh, uh, exuberant worship? Dancing. Say dancing. It's in the Bible, Psalms 30, 11 through 12. You have turned me from my morning. You've turned me from mourning into dancing. Praise God. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Psalms 149.3. Let them praise his name with the dance. Wow. You know you can praise the name of the Lord with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the triple and the harp. I'll get to that in a moment. Say the dance. So, so far we have clapping, we have shouting, we have lifting your hands, we have dancing. But you, you get into people, uh, church worship services. Guys, I'm talking about Christians. It, it's like, and I'm not saying that because you're crossing your arms around. I just noticed he's like, you're talking about me. No, I'm not talking about you. You can cross your arms. I'm, I, you, you guys with me, though? You understand what I'm saying? Okay, so say dancing. Exodus 15, 20 through 21. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the tribble in her hand, and all the women went out after her with trembles and with dances. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. So they praise God with dancing. 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 15. David danced before the Lord with all his might. Say, all is mine. Wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy. There you got again, shouts of joy. And with the blowing of ram's horn. So I actually looked into it. David would have been doing a traditional ceremonial dance where it, literally, I, I, I dug into this. What did it look like? What kind of dance? You know, was he doing like some contemporary thing? Was he hip hop? I don't know. But basically, it would have consisted of jumping up and down and alternating between feet, right? So when David was dancing before the Lord, he's just basically doing this number right here. As the ark's being carried into Jerusalem, he would jump up and down and just dance before the Lord. I don't know. Maybe he, that's where uh, the Irish thing came from, where, you know, they're doing the little kick thing. <laughs> but he danced before the Lord with all of his might. You know, again, guys, this is who we are. This is biblical forms of worship. And I just want to get this identity into this church because I'm telling you, in a time, people are going to come in and they think they came to Marble Slab and it's just kind of, we got all the flavors of the rainbow and you pick which one you like the best and stick with it. No, this is who we are. We stand on the pillar of exuberant worship in this house. Okay, they worship God with dancing. They worship God with music, instruments, and horns. Look at Psalms 150. It's only six verses, so we'll read the whole thing. We're going to read the entire chapter of Psalms 150. Good thing it's six verses. It says, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequal greatness. Praise him with the blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and with the harp. You got the ram's horn. That was like their trumpet. You know, they would blow into it. Praise him with the lyre, with the harp. Praise him with the tambourine and with dancing. Praise him with strings and with flutes. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. So guys, guess what? When the believers are worshiping, don't stand there like a bump, dead, ward on a frog's butt on a log. Let everything that has breath. Are you dead? No. Then let everything that has breath sing praises to the Lord. Hallelujah. Music, instruments, horns. And then as we've went over, you've heard it several times, but singing. We praise God with singing. Acts 16, 25. So again, anytime anyone comes to you. And again, I, I, we shouldn't be putting on a concert. A heart is geared toward worshiping God. It's not the smoke machines and putting on this, these grand concerts for people. But to have the idea that we're being unbiblical and we're in the flesh by playing instruments for the Lord 
That's totally false. Are you guys with me? God loves that. Singing. Acts 16.25, it says, Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. So they were praying and singing hymns to God. Ephesians 5.19, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among themselves and making music to the Lord in your heart. So you sing, you make music to the Lord. James 5.13, are any of you suffering hardship? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Hallelujah. Man, he's turned my mourning into dancing. He's turned my sorrow into joy. Are any of you happy in here? Then you should sing praises unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing. One will sing. One will teach, another will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues and another will interpret what is said, but everything that must be done must be done to strengthen all of you. All right, that's the first pillar, exuberant worship. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to take the next 20 minutes. And I'm going to give you number two. This is a big one. The second pillar of Pentecostalism, the second pillar of Pentecost is, number two, baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptism in the Holy Spirit or baptism with the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is what birthed the revival in the early 1900s. They went around preaching that the Acts 2 experience is for all believers today. Okay, so can you say baptism of the Holy Spirit? Here's a question, and I'm going to help answer this my best that I can. Question, what is that? Some of you may be asking that. What the heck is that? What's, be, what's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is that? First off, I want to show you this. It is the promise of the new covenant. I wish you guys would put it like my notes. I wanted to emphasize. It's the promise. Capital T-H-E. The singular promise of the new covenant. Right? Not that that's all that God promises you, but th that was the, the gift that God promised us was not just the Holy Spirit, but specifically being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Look at this. So it's the promise of the new covenant, Matthew 3.11. John the Baptist said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. Praise the Lord. We have two people being water baptized this coming Sunday. If any of you would like to join, we can, we can baptize more. This Sunday, we have two people being water baptized. But why is it that there's Christians that that's all that they practice still is water baptism? John the Baptist, before Jesus came, said, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to even be his slave or carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Hallelujah. Jesus is coming and he ain't going to water baptize you. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's where this term comes from, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So it's the gift of the new covenant. That was the thing. That was the promise of the Messiah. He's going to baptize you. That's the thing. Everything that he's going to do for the next three years is going to lead you up to the moment where you receive the gift that he's promised. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Luke eleven thirteen, Jesus said, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So basically, the good gift. He's talking about good gifts, right? And then he says, in, in context of the good gift, how much more will the heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? So what is Jesus saying? The good gift, the Holy Spirit, the being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we'll see, is the good gift that the Father has promised you. You know, the Bible says, I don't have this verse, but it says that the kingdom of, of God is not meat or drink, but it's righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit. 
That means that everything that God's promised you, the life in Christ that God has promised you, it's, it's not found just through water baptism. It is found when you get a hold of the Holy Ghost, or should I say when the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, that's the kingdom of God. Let your kingdom come. Well, he comes, and he comes in you, and now the kingdom of heaven comes through you. Look at this in Acts 1, 4 through 5. So remember, this is under the, the point of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the promise of the new covenant. Acts 1, 4 through 5. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. Say the gift. Not a gift, the gift that he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Say the gift. What was the gift? In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the gift is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The gift of God was the baptism, or I should say, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So let's ask this question now. Again, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's the promise of the new, co of the new covenant. Number two, it is when God, it's when you are endued with power for service. Endued with power for service. Put that on the board, please. Media booth. It's number B, endued with power. For service. So I should really say, again, what's the purpose of being baptized in the Holy Ghost? What happens when you get baptized in the Holy Ghost? God gives you power for service. Acts 1.5, we just read it. But he said, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Say Baptized. Again, what does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? That Greek word means submerging. Submerging. And I'll get to this in a moment, but here's the difference, guys. At salvation, the Bible says that the Spirit of God comes in you. Okay? Think about this. You're an empty glass of water. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God fills that empty glass. The Spirit of God comes in you. It says his spirit joins with your spirit. You receive that at salvation. But the difference between just receiving the Holy Spirit, being filled, I should say, with the Holy Spirit, and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're not just a cup that's been filled with water. Now you're a cup that he filled with water, then he takes the whole thing and sticks it in a fish tank that's filled with water. Boom, and now the cup, it's not only filled with water. There's water on the outside. There's water on the top. There's water on the bottom. There's water on the left. There's water on the right. And it's not just the Spirit of God in you. It's the Spirit of the Lord on you. Amen. Submerged encompassed this is kind of the idea here look at Luke 4 18 through 19 Jesus said the spirit of the Lord is upon me say upon me see it's not just the spirit of the Lord is in me the spirit of the Lord is upon me that means he came he baptized say baptized what happened when the spirit of the Lord came upon him he has anointed me what has anointed me? God gave me the grace. God gave me the power to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. Endued with power for service. So basically, are y'all still with me? Am I losing anybody here? When the Holy Ghost comes on you, what, what does it look like? It looks like God gives you the power, the grace, the ability, the anointing to do the same thing that Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Are y'all still with me here? Endued with power. Say endued with power. When the Holy Ghost comes on you, and a power of God comes on you. I'll talk about that in a moment. For service. Say for service. And again, look at Acts 1.8. So again, remember, he said, wait in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 until you receive the gift that the Father promised. 
In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And what happens when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes in you. Is that what it says? No, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This happened to Jesus, as we just discussed in Luke chapter 4, and it's the gift to all of his followers. Say, it's the gift to all of his followers. How do we know that? Mark 16, 17 through 18. These miraculous signs will accompany who? Those who believe. Say, those who believe. Say, those who believe. It doesn't just mean apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. It means if you're a believer, he envisioned this for you. Not that you would just get saved and repent and be water baptized, but you would have this experience where the Spirit of the Lord comes upon you and anoints you for service to the Lord. They'll cast out demons. Who will? Those that believe will cast out demons in my name. They'll speak in new languages. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. Jesus never envisioned a believer that couldn't cast out demons, that couldn't heal the sick, that couldn't speak in tongues, that couldn't drink anything poisonous and you know, live supernaturally above the hand of the enemy. Jesus said in John 14, 12, I tell you the truth, anyone, say anyone. Now turn to your neighbor and say, that means you. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works that I have done. And even greater works because I am going to be, I am going to be with the Father. You know that Jesus actually said to his disciples, it's better for you that I go than I stay? Why? Because Jesus was one man. You understand that? Jesus was the only righteous man. Jesus was the only candidate for the Holy Ghost to come and indwell him. And so Jesus was one man. He could only be in one place at one time. Jesus in his earthly body could not be in Jerusalem and Samaria at the same time. Jesus couldn't be in Samaria and Egypt at the same time. He couldn't be in Egypt and Montana at the same time. So what he actually was saying is it's better for you that I go because when I go and I pay the price for your sin, I'll make you righteous before the Lord and you'll become the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now my spirit will come and, fill and dwell inside of you. My spirit will come upon you. And now instead of there just being one man, with the power of God, you have a million men with the power of God and a million women with the power of God that are going around doing the exact same thing that Jesus did in his earthly ministry, which is what? Preaching, teaching, casting out devils, and healing the sick. Hallelujah. Y'all, be glad. You didn't have to pay to go to Bible college to get this tonight. Endued with power, say power. Again, we read in Acts 1, you shall receive power, say power, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. That word power in the Greek is the Greek word dynamis, dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. Say dynamite. Y'all understand that there is an experience with the Lord where something comes on you, dynamite comes on you. I can already tell a lot of people have no idea what I'm talking about. I'm telling you, power comes on you. Dynamite comes on you. I know so many Christians, they're still so scared. They're still so reserved. They're still so enslaved because they haven't got baptized in the Holy Ghost. When that dynamite comes on you, there is a physical, tangible power that comes on your being. So say power. This You shall receive power. Dynamite when the Spirit comes upon you. The power of God is tangible and it's transferable. Look at Luke 8, 43 through 46. It says, a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe and immediately the bleeding stopped. 
Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, Someone deliberately touched me. For what? I felt healing power go out from me. Guys, I'm I'm telling you, this ain't just some little card trick game. When that power of God comes on you, you can feel it. I know I received prayer from an African preacher over a year ago, and for the first time in my life, after he prayed for me, I was actually before he prayed for me, I was in a worship service, and I literally had never felt anything like this. I felt, it felt like my hand had been dipped, my left hand had been dipped in lava, and it was red hot, and it was on fire. I mean, it was on fire. It was hot. I mean, I felt like, I think I actually touched somebody's arm, and I was like, do you feel that? And like, your hand is extremely hot. I'm like, I'm telling you right now, it's tangible, it's measurable. My hand is on fire right now. And I went up to receive prayer from this African preacher, and he had no idea that that had just happened to me. And he literally looked at me, and he said, the Lord puts miracles in your hand tonight. Prayed for me, went out under the power. And I'm telling you, it doesn't happen all the time. See, if you ask me, like if you go to this church and you say, John, how come you don't just, every service you preach, you line everyone up, and you just lay hands on everyone every time? I don't do that. Because I actually wait until I'll know when it's time to lay hands on people because I'll actually feel that fire come into my left hand, and I know it's time to lay hands on people. You know, we had a revival meeting with Krista Bullock and uh, Robin Bullock. They came. And, and they were doing their thing, and at one point, they just turned the service over. They looked at me, and they said, Pastor, just do whatever you want. Just flow however you want. And I'm like, this isn't, you know, we're, they're here for Jesus, obviously, but, you know, we came here to receive from you tonight, not from me. But whenever she told me to, to do whatever I wanted, I'm telling you, right then and there, it was like lightning. It hit me in the top of my head. It came through my body. It came into my left hand, and I felt the fire of God. My left hand began to burn. And I knew right then and right there, I said, I don't care what, what's wrong with you. I don't care if you're sick, uh, whatever you need, right? The anointing breaks the yoke of bondage. The anointing will bind up the brokenhearted. The anointing will set the captive free. The anointing will open the eyes of the blind. It's a one-stop shop. I said, come up. If you feel a call of God, whatever it is, if you feel like you need to get hands laid on you, come up front. These weren't the average people, you know, that go to every meeting and fall at every time. These people came up front and immediately just began to pray for them. Boom, out under the power, out under the power, out under the power. And I had testimonies of, y'all, I'm telling you, like, country boy from down the road. You could tell he doesn't courtesy fall. (laughs) You know what I mean, what I'm talking about? Came up after the meeting. And he said, that has literally never happened to me before. And he said, I can still feel the power of God, like electricity, like surging in my body right now. That's never happened to me before. And it was funny because his father came. His father was a pastor. And he said, I've seen that same thing before. He said, it was a long time ago in the early 90s. I got invited to this meeting in Louisiana. And there was a white guy from Africa preaching. And I said, was his name Dr. Rodney Howard Brown? And he said, yes, it was. And he said, I thought it was all a hoax and it was all fake. And he said, that man, he laid hands on me. And the same thing that I just saw happen to my son, it happened to me 30 years ago. I know it's real. I know it was from God. And he saw it 30 years ago. He hadn't seen it since. Guys, what am I trying to tell you? That impartation is a real thing. Are you guys with me? The, the anointing of God, it's tangible, it's transferable. When you carry the power of the Holy Ghost, you don't have to pray over people because the power is already in you. You don't have to pray over people like, Father, I pray right now, Lord, that you would please come and touch this person right now, Lord, and that you would divinely intervene in this situation, Lord, and you would do this. No, because he's baptized you. He's in, in, you've been endowed with power. It's already on the inside of you. It's actually just like Jesus. He already had the power. He didn't even pray for the girl. She just touched his robe in faith, and it went out from him. You understand now why Apostle Paul... When he rebuked the devil, 
The demon out of that girl, the, the fortune teller that was walking behind him, he never prayed. Father, I pray right now that you would cause this demon to flee. He turned around and said, come out of her right now. He didn't even say in Jesus' name. He didn't pray at all. He just released that virtue that was already in him, and it caused the captive to be set free. Are you guys with me? Are y'all really with me? It's this, it's this dynamite, this dunamis power when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. The power is tangible. The power is transferable. I want to give you one one more point, and then I'm going to end this tonight's service, okay? You need to write this point down. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Understand this. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is separate from receiving the Holy Spirit at salvation. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is separate from receiving the Holy Spirit at salvation. So let's break this into two parts. Number one, you need to understand, you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, 13 through 14, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, say when you believed, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. So when you believed, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Romans 8, 9 You are not controlled by your sinful nature, yet you are controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of the living God living in you, say in me. Remember, there's a difference. The Spirit shall come upon you. That's different than the Spirit in you. Remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. So if you haven't received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that's what's being called born again. Born of God's Spirit where he takes the the, the heart of stone and he gives you a heart of flesh like it talks about on Zechariah, where his spirit joins with your spirit to affirm that we're God's own children. Is it Zechariah or Ezekiel? I'll take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Fact check me. Sound booth says Ezekiel. But that's what it means. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again of the spirit. There has to be a regeneration where you were, the, the, the inner man is recreated. You're made a new creation when the Spirit of God comes in you, that old sinful nature is cut away, and now it, it, the, the Spirit of living God joins with your spirit to affirm that we're his children. Right? You receive that at salvation. But you need to understand this. Being baptized with the Holy Spirit is a secondary experience. What does it mean? It doesn't come necessarily at the moment of salvation. It can come simultaneously with it, but it's a secondary experience from just receiving the inward filling of the Holy Spirit. Say secondary. I know this is a lot, and I'm going to wrap it up with this. Acts 2, 38 through 39. So remember, it's secondary. Say secondary. Peter stands up. He preaches the gospel to 5,000 At least multiple thousand, it might have been 3,000 plus women and children, but 3,000 nonetheless. Peter said, they said, what must we do to be saved after he preaches? He says, each of you, how you're saved, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. All right? Repent. Say repent. Repent and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then, say then, not before, after, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, your children, and those far away who have all been called by the Lord our God. Amen. So remember, say this is secondary. John 20, 19 through 22. 
Their first encounter the disciples had with the resurrected Jesus Christ. This is it right here. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit in John chapter 20. But yet he still told them in Acts chapter 1, wait until you receive the gift that the Father had promised you. What does that tell you? They already had the inward feeling of the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But they didn't have the gift which was being submerged, which is dunamis, dynamite, power that you receive when, the, when you were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. It's in Ezekiel. Praise God. Why did they receive it right there when they had that first encounter with Jesus Christ? Why did they receive it then? They received it. He breathed on them and they received the inward feeling of the Holy Spirit because this was their first encounter with the resurrected Jesus. What is the qualifications for salvation, guys? The Bible says you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. Did they believe Jesus was the Lord? Yes, didn't Peter say, you are the Messiah, you're the Lord? He already confessed it with his mouth. But it's not only that Jesus is the Lord, but that God also raised him from the dead. So guess what? The very moment that those two realities came together, we believe and confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, and now he's resurrected from the dead. Guess what? They were born again in that very moment, and they received the inward filling of the Holy Spirit. Yet they still had to wait for the gift in Acts chapter 1 later, which was the baptism of the Holy Spirit and power for service. Does that make sense to everyone? All right, finally here, Acts chapter 19, 1 through 7. Now, remember, this is under the point of this is a secondary experience. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus. On the coast where he found several, what? Believers. Say believers. Say believers. Come on, y'all engage with me. We're almost done. Say believers. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, no. They replied, we hadn't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. So is he talking about the inward feeling? No, he says what? baptism did you experience? He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He asked, they replied, John's baptism, which is water baptism. They had been water baptized believers. They did the first part of what Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had not received the then part, you shall receive the gift. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe the one that would come later, meaning Jesus. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came in them? No, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues, and they prophesied. They were water-baptized believers, but had not received the gift yet. Here's the whole conclusion here, and I'm going to end tonight with this. Although one is saved by faith in the lordship and resurrection of Jesus Christ, although one is saved by faith in the lordship and resurrection of Jesus Christ, every believer should seek to be endued with power for the work of the Lord, which is world evangelism. Can you put that up on the board, please? Anytime you see conclusion or something in my notes, just make sure you have it up for me. I want you guys to see this. I want you to write it down. Hallelujah. Does this help anybody tonight? 
Although one is saved by faith in the lordship and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? You're saved. Praise God. Every believer, even after you're saved, you say, well, Brother John, I've been saved. But have you been baptized in the Holy Ghost? Can you identify with what I'm talking about? And I'll give you the other indicators next Wednesday. Every believer should seek to be endued with power. Because guess what? It's a secondary experience. You may have said, John, I've went to that altar. I've prayed that prayer. I've been water baptized. I've believed. But here's the thing. There's more for you now. Don't just stop. Well, I've been saved. One time I got saved when I was eight years old. Every believer should seek to be endued with power for the work of the Lord being world evangelism. What is the work of the Lord? Say world evangelism. Guys, I'm telling you, God don't give fire to lazy. God don't give fire to lethargic. If you want the fire and you want the power of the Holy Ghost that I'm talking about, you've got to determine in your heart right now, I'm going to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. He said you'll receive power when the Spirit comes on you, and then what will you do? You'll be a witness for me everywhere, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. God only pours out power and fire on a witness. Not on a lazy boy, Cheeto, Netflix, watching backslidden Christian, on a witness, a preacher of the gospel. You may say, well, John, well, I'm not a pastor, a teacher, evangelist, a prophet, apostle. I'm not any of those things. Doesn't matter. He said these signs will follow those who believe. What does that tell you? Every believer is called to give themselves to world evangelism. Every kid, you don't got to be a pastor to start a Bible school in the, a Bible club in the school. You just got to be a Christian. Thank God we started our Bible school in Huntington High School as of this week. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise for that. We are in enemy territory behind the lines of Nazi Germany in the public school. I'm telling you the God honest truth. We started, it, we started the, the ministry. She started it this week, and it's just it's going to get better and better. But here's my point. Every Christian should come to the point where they're, they're thinking, what can I do for the Lord? How can I take this gospel further? This church should always be going forward with the purpose of how can we take the gospel to the next level in this community? How can we take it further? We should never settle. Oh, let's just have cute little clever church and uh, we'll just have a good old time and we'll do the religious hokey pokey. We need to constantly be thinking, how can we take this further? How can we take the message of Jesus deeper? How can we take it to more people? How can we, how can we reach Angelina County? And I'm telling you, God will come behind that with fire, with power, with favor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's not microwave either. I'll tell you that right there, right now. It's not something that can be microwaved. All right, I'm going to pray once, and God's going to give me fire and power, and he's going to give me the axe too. No, I'm telling you, there's got to be a desperation. you got to get hungry. You have to get thirsty. You, God blesses those that are meek. God blesses those that are poor in spirit. You've got to get desperate saying, Lord, I see a world that needs to be touched, so I need you to touch me so that through me you can touch this world. Things got to begin to move in us when we go to Walmart and see people with cerebral palsy crippled up in a wheelchair. We see another child die of cancer, a horrible disease, and, and these things. Something's got to begin to turn on the inside of us saying, Lord, somebody's got to get the power of God in this generation. And, and what you, you go in the upper room and you wait and you seek God. They had to wait several days before it was poured out. It didn't happen the first day, second day, third day. They went and they waited. How long do we wait? You wait until you get it. Amen. And that should be the principle you carry as a believer. How long do I seek for it, John? You seek for it until you get it from the Lord. You seek for it until he endues you with power from on high. Praise God. Hallelujah. Just lift your hands and let me pray over you right now. Father, I thank you for a fresh fire in this church. I thank you for fresh vision in this church. 
I thank you, Lord, that we will run and not grow weary, will walk and not grow faint. I thank you, Lord, for touching people in a new way, renewing their strength, renewing their vision, that, Lord, giving them a, a time of refreshment shall now come upon them in the name of Jesus Christ. First loves returned, fresh fire poured out, a reinstillment and, and a refilling of the Holy Ghost in this place. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, do it in us, Lord. Do it in us, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, bless them for being hearers of the word in Jesus' name. If you would like to sow a seed or partner with this work that the Lord is doing, check out the description of this podcast or go to www.rhctx.com forward slash give. You can find all the ways to give on that page. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. Until next time, this is John Wallace.